0: people were alive in christ they were passionate for him we're going to talk about these things today what a tremendous way for us to uh, to to jump into a consideration of acts chapter 1 and 2 and uh, what it is that god wants to do among us let me pray let me ask god to really speak profoundly now lord jesus uh, a long time ago you did send your spirit into this world that a flame might burn in us that we would be passionate for you That Lord, our faith wouldn't simply be something that is on the periphery or on the edges of who we are and how we live, but Lord, we would be caught up in the reality of God at work in us as a people and in our lives as individuals. And God, our desire now is that that flame would burn brightly even as we turn to your your word, the Bible, and as we hear your voice spoken uh, by that quiet voice of the Holy Spirit as we listen to Scripture read and the sermon preached. Um, God, wake us up uh, to the place that you desire us to be. Draw us into what you are doing in this world so that we might be the people of God that you call us to be, the church that you call us to be, for Jesus' sake. So bless this time now, we pray, and uh, prove your presence and your reality to us even here again, right now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen when I went to university a few years ago, I studied European history. Now, a lot of people would uh, hear about that and kind of yawn. Uh. But I found it kind of exciting. I loved it. And I heard about amazing places like Versailles in France and, and the Medici Palace in Florence and the Colosseum in Rome and so much else. And I um, always had a dream to go to Europe and actually see these places. What normally happened after people graduated then, and I still think it happens now, is that People take off to those places they've studied and, you know, students backpack around Europe and kind of experience, it becomes real to them in a new way what they've studied. Um, I was a bit different. I had a desire to do that, but I wanted to wait until I got married and I wanted to do that with my future wife, whoever she might be, and then have those, those times to enjoy but those memories to hold on to for a lifetime. And then uh, I met my, uh, my wife, Heather, and, you know, we were just talking. And I'd never heard anybody have that dream before, but she had the same dream. Isn't that cool? And eventually we did that. Um, we, we backpacked around Europe, and I saw Versailles in France and the Medici Palace in Florence and the Colosseum and so much else. It was an amazing thing. Um, and we saw a lot of cathedrals while we were there. You know, the cathedral in Cologne with the tallest spires in Europe, I believe. We climbed them. It exhausted us amazing, amazing building, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, of course, and many others, and one day we were going into a smaller church, and um, it was, it was a smaller building with a, I can picture it in my mind, a smaller wooden door that, that there was, we were coming to, and there was a, a young couple right in front of us, and the woman opened the door, and her words, and I was close enough to hear her words to her partner behind her were this, it's so dark and gloomy, and his response to her was, well, that's, that's because it's a church. That's what churches are like, dark and gloomy. And I want to tell you, I, just, I, I heard those words, and I was almost stopped in my tracks. You know, it's like, wow, that's their impression of church, dark and gloomy. Well, in recent uh, weeks, I've had reason to sit back and think a little bit about how people perceive church now, how they perceive church, what they think about it. And I want to suggest to you that in essence, when the unchurched crowd thinks about church, uh, it's not very positive. You probably know that. There's a lot that's gone on in, in a recent generation or two, or the recent generations, which have predisposed people to think negatively about church. You know, there's the whole idea, and, and, and for good reason, I'm afraid, that people think of the church as judgmental and condemning of what they do, legalistic and moralistic and wanting to tell people to do what they don't want to do. Not very positive, right? Oh, go to church and I have to live differently even though I don't want to. And there's the whole idea also of of church being a place where, you know, you you, um, uh, encounter folks who are anti-women and anti-gay. You know, we want to take away people's freedoms and rights. As a matter of fact, that's the place where a lot of people who hate go to church. Of course, I don't think this is true at all, of course, but that's the perception that some people have. There's the perception, though, that I wonder even because of all the sexual abuse scandals whether sometimes people even think church is a safe place to go, especially for their children, because that's been in the news to such a great degree. You're getting the picture that has been painted in our world of the church? Dark and gloomy starts to sound pretty good compared to some of these things. Um... And so on I could go, you know, anti-intellectual. It's like we're all Neanderthals believing in some fantasy story that is recorded in the Bible, but literally people think didn't even happen. As if it's not rooted in human history and in reality. That's an impression. And then sometimes these folks go to church and they find it really too often irrelevant to life and incredibly boring, if nothing else. It's not a positive picture, when you unpack it a little bit in terms of what people are thinking about the church today. But you know, there's a surprise when you take it a step further, because at least in my opinion, and I would suggest this to you as a possibility, it is also sometimes unappealing for people who are churched. Unappealing for people who are churched. You know, the idea that church is too often boring. I go to church on holidays, and you know, sometimes I have a Sunday off here, and I love to go to other Congregations, usually dynamic ones from which I learn and I gain ideas and inspiration. But sometimes I go to churches and it is the most boring thing in the world. And I find it painful, honestly, to sit there. I'm just wanting to get out. And, and, and one of the thoughts that I have is, why on earth would anybody come to this church on a regular basis? Like, all the time. I don't get it. Uh, I guess it meets some need in some folks' lives because of the way it's done. It's just uninspiring and irrelevant to life and, and so forth. Out of touch with the culture, essentially, of which I'm a part and so are you. And, and, and I think it's because sometimes church is unappealing is that uh, some, sometimes church people don't come that often. Certainly not with great regularity. Don't want to look at anybody here now, right? <laughs> Yeah, you and you. And, you know. But I think it's a reality. People don't come to church the way they once did. It's not the commitment and the, and the passion in their heart to worship God the way that it once was. It's because of, because of it being a bit unappealing. It's almost like they, they, they come, you know, maybe because it's the right thing to do or they're supposed to do it. And, and, but it's not, it's not deep and in them and, and there's not an enthusiasm and a passion to worship God and to encounter God. Um... Sometimes it's it's why folks kind of watch what's going on rather than engage. Let me ask you this when we were worshiping today, were you engaged in worship or were you watching it happen? I think this is a huge question because some people will come to church and they'll watch and yeah, they'll sing, but the worship is happening up here instead of out there. These people are only supposed to lead us as we worship God. We're the worshipers, they're the leaders. And of course, they better be worshiping in order for us to see what it's like and to be drawn into worship and so forth. But are are we engaged in worship? When we sing songs like we just sang, light a fire in me, is this a passionate prayer in your heart that God do something new, even today? Or is it like a fire in me? And I know some of you sound that way because I sit in front of you on so long. No, I'm kidding. But you see, the idea, you know, the word is preached and the response is, well, that's his idea, not mine, as opposed to God Almighty is here by his spirit to speak into my life. And he is a word for me, that quiet whisper of the Holy Spirit, and God Almighty is going to address my life to which I can respond in faith and obedience. You see, sometimes we watch what's going on rather than engage. We keep our distance rather than jumping in and discovering the reality of what church can be whether it be worship on a Sunday morning or otherwise. Well, I want to look at church in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1 and 2, for a few weeks and compare what it was then and what it is for us now, and I invite you to do the same. I just realized this probably sounds like, you know, me saying I studied European history, and some might go, oh. This is not boring stuff. If we could recapture what happened In Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, we were the most dynamic and powerful church on the face of the earth. I'm not kidding you. Because what happened in here turned the lives of these people not only upside down, but into a passionate experience of the living God. This is the situation. Jesus has been crucified. They have nailed him to a cross and they have killed the Son of God. Mind-boggling. Remarkable. Um, He has risen from the dead by the power of God, and he has shown himself to 500 people. This is historic fact, not fantasy, right, and myth. He helped them understand what his life and his death were all about, something that they hadn't grasped, and we'll read that in a minute. And over the course of these two chapters, the ascension happened. That's when Jesus rose up into the clouds and ascended to heaven to be with God the Father, sitting at his right hand. And in chapter two, the Holy Spirit came in power flames something like flames settled upon the people of of jesus and brought them life and power as jesus said that that the holy spirit would the spirit of god came and dwelt in them and in their lives in time incredible numbers of people were converted to faith and the church began to function this by the way was a mega church people say oh small churches are better mega churches are bad 3,120 people or 3,500 people in this early church And it began to be the reality that that it would become. And I want to suggest to you this morning: this is our model for church. This is our example of uh, uh, of church for those who want to understand it and for those who want to live it. Um, And what these what these people had was an alive and dynamic and passionate faith in God. Because of what they encountered, they experienced something incredibly good, which blessed their lives in incredible ways as they saw God working among them. And these people loved the church. I want to start with the heart of the whole thing. (laughs) And, And as we read it, I'm going to point out to you some of the characteristics of this church, but I want to tell you that it all began because these people had seen and had a direct encounter with the living and resurrected Jesus That's powerful, even before I read the text and tell you more about it. These people had seen and had a direct encounter with the living, resurrected Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Just a a part of chapter 1. After his suffering, his crucifixion, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I love that. (laughs) Are Are you encountering many convincing proofs that Jesus is alive? You know, they lived it. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this commandment, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still don't get it. They still think Jesus is going to boot the Romans out and sit as a king in Israel. But that was their question, his response. His response was, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid him from their sight. How would you be if you had encountered that reality? Right? How would you be? I want us to stay simple on this. Really simple. I'm not going to dig up the profound truths of Scripture in this one, unless I actually speak profound truths. These people spoke to Jesus, and he answered them. They talked to him. Once dead, now alive. They spoke to him. They, they, They heard his voice. They understood his new teaching so that they came to grasp what his life was all about and what God was about. And other other gospels, and here too, they ate with him and, and they shared a meal with him. He said, you know, put your hand in my side, touch me, you know, where the nail prints are. Experience the reality of who I am. And they did. And they realized that this one Jesus was the son of God and that he had overcome the power of death to hold him down. God wouldn't allow that. It was a remarkable thing which left them awed and amazed. And my friends, I want to say it, they were passionate followers of Jesus as a result. Passionate followers of Christ. Then came Pentecost. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter two, verses one to four. When the day of Pentecost came, great celebration of the Jewish people. They were all gathered together. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like The blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. My friends, I want to tell you another remarkable experience of God where very literally the Holy Spirit of God came uh, and rested upon them and entered into their lives it was a powerful moment for them, a powerful encounter of God. And I want to tell you, no longer was this something that they had heard about or read about in a book. All of a sudden now, this faith of theirs was something that they had experienced. It was something incredibly real to them. With the result, and if you go on and read the passage, they were caught up in an incredible miracle of God. All these people came from all over the world, Jewish people to, the, to, to, to Pentecost, a great feast of the, of the people of Israel. And because they were from all over the world, they spoke various languages. And in this instance, these people who were gathered, this 120 people who were gathered when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, began to speak remarkably and miraculously foreign languages. So the people who didn't understand their language began to hear of Jesus. And in this moment, they began to witness to the reality of the Christ who said in chapter 1, You will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem. It was happening. You know, God's spirit moved in them profoundly and deeply and remarkably, so much so that others heard of Christ. And I want to tell you, light a fire in me, do you think there was a fire lit in the souls of these people because they had personally encountered Christ, and then after his ascension they encountered his spirit in a powerful way, so much so that they were caught up in miraculous experience? Wow. What a a thing that that would be. I want to tell you, first and foremost, because of their experience of Christ, these people were passionate about their faith. Passionate. Then what happened? Well, I want, to, I, I want to suggest to you, I don't alliterate sermons very often, and you're only going to get two P's here. A third isn't a P. Not only were they passionate, they, they were purposeful. They discovered a purpose for their life that they had no clue about up until this moment. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to read it to you again. It says this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 it says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want to tell you, in that moment, at least in their minds, they came to understand something. The purpose of my life is to be a witness to the reality of the risen Christ. That's why I exist. This is what my life is about. And then they did speak in tongues, and as I have already said, they witnessed to the reality of Jesus. After Pentecost, like... In most of the rest of chapter 2, after what I've described to you, Peter, the once coward who is now inspired to great courage and boldness, stands up in front of this throng of people and he preaches about Jesus crucified and risen from the dead and he calls people to repent and to believe and 3,000 people become believers in one, one day. 3,000 people accept faith in Jesus and step into this dynamic reality. And, of course, this church had the words of Jesus, which come to us in Matthew 28, maybe a fuller description of what he said before his ascension. You know, all authority is, being given, uh, is given to you. He, he said, go and preach the gospel and baptize in my name and teach, teach everyone the things that I have taught you. He was giving them marching orders. He had a purpose for their lives. Go into all the world, starting here, then surrounding regions, and then to the uttermost part of the world. And you are to tell people of me so that they will come to faith in me and be baptized. And so that once they are baptized, once they are in the family of God, tell them what I have told you. Teach them the things that I have taught you. And I would assume, considering how blind they were before this 40 days that Jesus had after the ascension, most of what they were to teach was what he had then taught them. Because prior to this, they didn't get it without the agency and the help of the Holy Spirit of God to teach them. My friends, I want to tell you, these people um, were called to, to, to do something of significance and of greatness with their lives. It was Jesus saying, refuse to live for lesser things. Now live for me and for my cause. They had a new focus and they had a new purpose. So they had passion in their hearts and they had a clear sense of purpose. And number three, they, were quick, they quickly were drawn into a deep and life-changing experience of community. I can't tell you how important this is. Famous verses, Acts chapter 2, 42 and 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, or you could say shared living, or to community, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need incredible generosity. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily. That means every single day, those who were being saved, there were new converts to this new movement of God in the world. Every single day. See, these people were absolutely committed can I say, passionately committed to what? To the teaching of the apostles, to hearing the word of God and responding to it. They were passionately committed to fellowship, doing life together, you know, to breaking of bread in their homes, the early expression of communion, the love feast, and to prayer. Understand that. They were passionately committed to prayer. Like, wow, that's an amazing thing for someone to focus their life on. They worshiped together. They went into each other's homes. They were incredibly generous with each other. and, And they saw God doing, again, remarkable things in and through them as every day more people came to believe in Jesus. Can you imagine this? I hope you can. I hope you can because, you see, this is the model, this is the example of church that the Bible brings to us. It really is. Passion for Jesus, new purpose in life, deep love for God, yes, but deep love for one another as people did life together rather than apart. My question has been how on earth, you know, the church has gotten and I hope not too much here, but to some degree, of course, how has the church gotten to the place it's at? Boring and irrelevant to life and passionless where our purpose is focused on other things and maybe we're not encountering the reality of Jesus. You know, something in which people watch, something people watch rather than live and engage, something they hold at arm's length as opposed to something that we do together. And I guess I want to ask you this morning, how does this compare with our experience of church here at IPC? It's like, wow, that's a a pretty high standard, Chris. (laughs) I don't care how high it is, it's the biblical standard. And I'm called to tell you what the Bible says. And can I personalize it even a little bit more? To what degree is this, um, this experience of church, this model, this example of church, your experience of church? Or does it sound foreign and unusual and distant? I want to tell you there are some keys of learning that we can take hold of and apply to our lives. And and if we are ever to get this right to the degree that we can, and I believe with my whole heart we can. Number one, each of us needs a direct personal experience of the living Jesus. And I say that one again because this is at the heart of the whole enterprise. These people hadn't encountered the living Christ, there would have been no church, there would have been no passion, they wouldn't have bothered with a purpose. They certainly wouldn't have done life together in community, deeply loving one another. Every single one of us needs a direct personal experience of the living Jesus because it is this which gives gives us passion for him. You know, it's absolutely easy to know about Jesus and to not know him. Please take that to heart. It is incredibly easy to believe in Jesus of the, of the New Testament and, and to know about Jesus, but to not know him personally, to not have encountered him in a very real and dynamic way in your life such as these people did. It is like these 3,000 people who were converted to Jesus after listening to pe- people's sermon, Peter's sermon. We have to step into a relationship with Christ, every single one of us we have to take that initiative, we have to act, we have to repent of our sin, and we have to open our lives to the Lord Jesus, and I want to tell you, we we do that not just once, but over and over and over again. My experience is way too many Christians, I accepted Christ in my life when I was 13, or I was 20, or I was 25, and then they think that's it, they think that's somehow enough, when the living Christ by his spirit is with us and, and who can reveal himself to us, you know, what, what did that verse say? You know, they had that, that opportunity early on um, to experience many convincing proofs that he was alive. That needs to carry on because as it carries on, we encounter Christ and our hearts come alive in him and the fire burns brightly and we have a passion for Jesus. It's not a once in a lifetime thing. We have to step into relationship, but then we have to live the relationship in an ongoing way, and encounter the reality of God working through this. You know, without that ongoing encounter with Jesus, or without the encounter at all, we will be uninspired in our experience of the church. We might even be unimpressed with the church. And it will be like doing church, listen to me, without God. You think people do church without God? I do, sometimes. There is the form of godliness, but no power within it, the New Testament says. And the last thing I want for you is the people of IPC. You're my flock, right? <laughs> I'm responsible for you <laughs> before God. Scary thought, right? But I am. And that's why I stand up before you right now and say, number one, have you encountered the living Christ initially? Is it... Is it Has that encounter happened so that your life is being changed and you have had passion wired into your heart for him? And number two, are you continuing to experience the reality of Jesus alive in your life, caught up in the miraculous actions of God in this world, accomplishing his purposes for us and for you? You see, without the encounter of Jesus, there will be no passion. Number two, I, we, you, must understand the purpose of our lives, of our life together. Um, We have got to come to a place, my friends, where we cease living for lesser things. You get that? We have to refuse to live for lesser things, such as these people refuse to live for lesser things. You know, part of, I guess, what I'm here today is just to simply ask you, are you doing that? Here's the reality. God is at work in our world. God is powerfully at work in our world. It's a song that I hear on Christian radio. God is on the move. God is on the move. He is. The question is whether your life and my life are caught up in what God is doing, as happened in Acts chapter 2. Are are, are our lives caught up in the powerful action of God to bring healing to people and salvation to people and, and caring for the poor and the broken and bringing the kingdom of God in power? Or is that something that happens and it's somehow separate, than us, separate to us and we're watching it take place? What are some of those lesser things? Another way to put it is what, what might be the, the purpose of our life or our lives otherwise? What's the purpose of your life? Can I ask you? I'm not saying what your head tells you. The purpose of my life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. All the good Presbyterians in the crowd get that one wired into us since we were three. I'm not talking about what you're supposed to think. I'm talking about what is the powerful purpose in your life that drives you to do the things that you do to live your life the way you live. You know, sometimes it, I mean, there's a whole myriad of things. Sometimes it's the job. The purpose of my life is to su- succeed at work. There's nothing more important that w- in, in what I do than, than succeeding in, in the task that I get up every day to accomplish five or six days a week. That's the purpose of my life. I want to tell you this text, based on the teaching and the authority of Christ in this text, we, we understand Jesus saying, no, it is not the purpose of your life. The purpose of your life is to know me and to witness to my reality and to build my kingdom. Your work might be a means whereby you accomplish that end. You might bring the kingdom to the earth by the way you work in the world. And you might make money in in your work in order to, of course, to provide for yourself, but also to be generous like the people of Acts and to give away and bless people in their need. But the purpose of your life is not work. Understand that. That just becomes idolatry. When we put it in the place of God and his purpose for us some people a lot of people in this culture you know money is the purpose of my life and all the nice things that money can buy you kids that are growing up and you're choosing career you know what i hear all the time where's it going to make me a lot of money so i can be secure and i can have a nice home and do the things i want to do and jesus by his teaching and by the inspiration of the Spirit in these texts. And Jesus, by his words elsewhere, says, if you think the purpose of your life as my follower, is money, you are wrong. It is not the purpose of your life. I have to become the purpose of your life. Some people, you know, these are just simple, simple categories, but some people think, you know, my friends and socializing, that's the purpose of my life. I just have to get with the right crowd and I want to enjoy my life. I want to have lots of fun. That is, that is the priority of my life that tends to drive what i do and form the way i live my life i want to tell you if jesus was here he would say that is not the purpose of your life nothing is the purpose of your life other than you knowing me with a passionate heart and taking up the purpose of the cause of jesus christ in the building of the kingdom of god that is why you now exist that is the purpose of your life i hope i'm shaking some things loose here because we have got to grapple with the reality of what the church was and what it, was, what it became early on and what it is intended to be still. You see, my friends, if Jesus Christ reveals himself to us and he takes hold of our lives, he makes us part of his purpose and part of his plan to accomplish what he wants accomplished. You, we, are to be his witnesses at home and in regions which surround us and internationally understand it and live it and i want to tell you my friends if we have the passion in our heart for jesus because we've encountered him he will be the purpose of our lives he will be the focus and the priority he will be our passion i want to say this i say it occasionally i'm going to say it here again as we kind of are really entering into a, another ministry year together our september to june run ipc does not exist just to be here We're not here just because we're here. I want to say this with love and grace. IPC does not exist just to meet your needs. I know where people get that idea from. The church of Christ exists for me. Do everything the way I like it and I'll be happy. No, the purpose of the church and of IPC particularly is to witness to the reality of Christ, the living Lord Jesus who has come into our lives and taken hold of our hearts and filled us with a passion and given us a purpose to accomplish the things that he died for. Four. connect people to Jesus deepen the faith change the world our vision I want to I call you to a couple of things today I want to ask this question I was going to ask you I'm going to ask you right now what is God saying to you right now and that is what, not what is Chris Little saying to you right now i That's not the point. What is the Spirit of God speaking into your mind and into your heart right now about what is being said today from a couple of chapters, some texts from a couple of chapters in one book of the Bible? Because unless you encounter Christ here and now, unless you hear His voice speaking into your heart and into your mind, what's the point? So two things. We have put this little card... Uh, in, uh, on the seats. Talking about purpose now. Can I ask what immediately entered in your mind when you sat down and read it? Some say, oh man, what an opportunity. I get to serve God and build his kingdom. Let me check something off. Or, you ready? <laughs> Do you realize the World Cup of Hockey is on? And you think I'm going to give up a the world cup of hockey in order to serve <laughs> or my job uh, it, it, it dominates my life i don't have time or you fill in the blank i better pick that thing up where did it go it's gone oh it's down there oh thank you what a guy thank you Brandon. um we, we serve in church and we serve out church, and I know we serve in our communities and our neighborhoods, and I, I know we serve in our places of work. We better be serving God passionately and meaningfully in those places. We, we want to be the church. We want to be together. We want to passionately and powerfully and purposefully make a difference as a church, both in those locations and in what we do through our ministries. God calling you to put your name on a piece of paper and check some marks or write other things in there, just to let us know what you're interested in? That kind of focuses things, doesn't it? I want to tell you, my friends, every single one of you, God has a purpose for your life. He has given you gifts to the Spirit. He will empower you and enable you to do significant and miraculous things that only you will be able to do for Him as He works through you by His Spirit. Are you in the game or are you going to watch it get played? Hmm. So passion, people engaging Christ, meeting Him, continuing to meet Him in worship and in life groups and in personal devotions and at home and in so many powerful ways. And purpose, stepping in, taking hold of opportunities that we have to enact the purpose of our lives. And this third thing we've talked about is engaging community. I want to tell you this, my friends. If you want to encounter Christ which in such a fashion that it will lead you to being passionate about Him. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that that will happen if you act alone as a Christian. This is one of the things in our culture right now, which is believed by Christian people that is completely contrary to the teaching of Scripture. I can be passionate in my faith, but I don't need to engage. A lot of people believe it. Look at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Do you see anywhere where people are flying solo or the Lone Ranger in faith experience of Christ? It happened in community. People who were gathered together, and guess what? Jesus appeared in their midst. He said earlier, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be in the middle of them. It doesn't happen to the degree that it is meant to happen when we try to do it alone. And thus God created the church. It's his idea. It's his intention. It is his passion to reveal himself to us in community. And I want to tell you too, if you want to make a difference with your life, if you want to have a purposeful focus to your life and be effective for God, nowhere in the Bible are we called to do this alone. Nowhere. Nowhere. God called people together and he filled them with his spirit and he formed this thing called the church and he filled them with his Holy Spirit and he gave them the power that he promised, Jesus promised in Acts chapter one and enabled them to together accomplish incredible things for himself. And I want to tell you, my friends, if you want to make a difference for your life, join together with other believers and give yourself to the cause of Jesus as opposed to standing back and watching and living at arm's length from this thing that God has ordained. You know, there are a bunch of um, authors in the church growth movement who write blogs and talk about what's the trends that are happening in the church right now, and there is a phenomenon that has emerged in the last few years uh, describing people who are called the Duns, D-O-N-E-S. And these are the folks who are Followers of Jesus, and they're well-intentioned, and they do know and love the Lord, but they they have just decided that they are done with church. They don't need it anymore. That's the idea. You know, they don't need worship on a Sunday morning, and they don't need fellowship together, and they don't need, you know, this community and and this experience of deep, loving relationship within the church. I want to tell you... um, Those people who choose that path, I believe, are acting unbiblically and they've made a serious mistake in understanding the faith. You know, they're lacking and they will lack in their experience. Without community, will they have the same passion? I don't think so. You know, there might there might be teaching that is achieved from a blogger, from a television program, but will they sit in the presence of God as God's word is opened up as it has been for thousands of years, and they encounter the reality of God and God speaks to them in power? I don't think so, not in the same way. And they don't have leadership in their life and, and 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 there's no accountability for them. And they certainly aren't experiencing the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which Jesus instituted because he knew how incredibly important it was for us to come to him time and time again in that cup and in that bread. And I want to suggest to you the opportunities to serve which the church provides would be abundant compared to some that are are few otherwise, and there is something powerful about serving God together as the people of Christ where the Spirit of God moves. See, the Bible says over and over and over again, live your life together, united in Christ, doing the will of Christ. Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 gives no place to people functioning as duns. No, Nobody functioning as lone rangers, doing their own thing, thinking they can accomplish and know Jesus in the same way they could if they weren't caught up in the power of community. Jesus didn't say, well, he did say where two or three are gathered. He didn't say when you gather on your own, I will be there in the midst of you. <laughs> he didn't say that. He said when you gather together as my people, there I will be by my spirit. And I will move. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 1. So community is a powerful thing. It's a necessary thing in the economy of God. It is the plan and the purpose of God that is consistent through the whole Scripture versus independent living. And I, I encourage you, I implore you to engage community even today. Today's life group sign-up, small group sign-up. You can walk out there if you're not engaged in a more personal expression of biblical community where you can share your heart with people and you can study scripture together and God can show up in power and teach you his truths and transform your life, give you passion for him and give you an opportunity to serve him with purpose. Walk out the doors and put your name on a piece of paper and get engaged in Christian community. And as Peter was later to write, learn to love one another deeply and from the heart. Deeply and from the heart. That's the That's the point. That's the intention. My friends, that's the plan of God. I want to finish um, this morning by saying, again, what is God speaking into your life? Can I ask you that? As you sit in his presence today, what's he saying to you? Because that's why you're here, right? In part, you're here to say thank you God and you're amazing God and I love you God with their songs and to be incredibly generous as these people were so all the needs are met, spiritual, physical, material, etc. There's so many reasons why we're here, but I want to tell you, my friends, the Lord comes here to address your life. He comes to speak to you as Jesus once spoke to those disciples by his spirit, through his word. Can I put it a little differently? He comes here to tell you what to do that you might find life in him, passionate, purpose-filled, community-oriented living. And I ask you again, what's he saying to you today? You know we have an author in our church? Brenda Vargas, is Brenda here? She's got a book signing later on today, uh, right around the corner there, I believe. She's written a book called, He Heard Me. And um, it's it's really uh, recounting many of the experiences Brenda has lived And um, I I think a lot from her journaling over the years. And she writes this. This is just after Brenda really felt the Lord leading her directly to this place. And read it in the book. It's very cool. The Spirit of God did something profound and proved to her his reality. And she became passionate about it. Okay? Listen to this. Many weeks have gone by and I'm already involved in some things at the new church. That's us. I am sitting on the edge of my chair because I just know God is going to do some awesome things in the church, in that church, with the ones who are obedient and wanting more of Him. You hear the spirit of which she wrote that day? She was excited and passionate about what God would do. This church may not be charismatic, as Brenda was used to in her previous circumstance, like the one we left, but the Holy Spirit is here, and I can sense Him, see Him in others, and hear Him from the pulpit. I was going to say, thank you, Brenda. She's encountering God. And then this little paragraph, considering everything, I truly believe this is where God wants Matthew and me. We are enjoying this church, and every Sunday, I just can't wait to go. (laughs) I want to tell you, my friends, these people in Acts chapter, they didn't even wait for Sunday. They met every single day in the temple courts to worship God. Passionate for Jesus. Engaged in the purposes that God had given to them. Um, Living in community that was loving and profound and life changing, in which they met the reality of Christ. Well, you can tell I'm a little fired up about this one, right? You know why? Because it's biblical truth. This is the Word of God, my friends. And to the extent I have communicated this book faithfully to you, hear it as his word to you. And I say to you, respond to God's word. Know what he wants of you and for you. Say yes to it and encounter him in a beautiful and powerful and remarkable way so that you too can say I just can't wait to be there because there I meet my God. Let's pray. Lord God, I feel like beginning today by confessing and asking for forgiveness for those times when we haven't, um, we haven't been the church you call us to. Um, but Father, you, you come in, in these texts of Scripture and you provide this example for us and you say, enter in. No more watching from a distance. No more arm's length Christianity. Become what I have created you to become. Enter in so that you know passionate relationship with Christ. Enter in so that you embrace the purpose for which I have created you. Enter in so that you know community living with my people. For there it is you will meet me. God, I'd pray for every single person here and I would pray for myself that this truth of of scripture will impact us profoundly in very real ways. God, I know uh, sometimes things happen in church which hurt people and cause people to stand back and say, hey, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to do that. But God, like in every good relationship, we just need to find forgiveness and find healing so that our hearts are made right. If there are folks here today whose hearts need made right before you, Lord, I pray that will happen. But God, help us to hear the call, the call of God. Help us to willingly embrace what you have for us. God, help this church to become like the early church which which experienced you in power in Jerusalem. Help us to be people who encounter you, Lord Jesus, day after day, so that our hearts are set aflame. Help us to be people who refuse to live for lesser things so that we can ultimately live for you. Lord God, help us to be people who live in community, a deep, loving community, so much so that we can find you in the midst and accomplish great things for you. God, create this here, we pray. Make it a reality in Kip in 2016, just as it was so long ago. Holy Spirit, move in us. And do what is required. Do what is required, Lord, that we might be the church that the New Testament calls us to. Lord, we yield ourselves to you. We submit to your voice and to your will. We ask that you will, God, amaze us with the church that forms as we move forward together. In this we pray.